everybody, and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm excited to welcome to the show my friend, Adam Draper. Hey, Adam. Hi, Emily. I'm so glad and, and grateful that you could join us today. Adam, real quick, give us an overview. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with Pacific Justice Institute, which we're going to talk about today. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm an attorney in, in uh, Winston-Salem. I've been practicing for 33 years now. Um, and uh, I've had a firm for uh, a long time, one form or another, since 1993 in Winston-Salem. Uh, but uh, the Lord sort of called me away from that. And not sort of, he called me away from it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. And um, uh, just, I started working, helping people um, with, um, actually with uh, their religious objections to the vax mandate. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I helped um, a, a guy um, here in North Carolina with, uh, um, he was having problems getting um, a kidney transplant because he wouldn't take the, the vaccine. And uh, frankly, I didn't help him that much. He did it all. I was glad to be on his side. But through all that, um, I ended up connecting with Pacific Justice Institute, which um, are, they are lawyers who defend people's religious liberties primarily. Um, mm -hmm. Other things, but if there's a religious connection, it's a, it was opened uh, by a guy named Brad Dacus about 25 years ago. And uh, it's designed to help churches and ministers, but really people of all uh, faith uh, when, it, when it comes uh, to defending their religious liberties. And um, so I've, I'm, I'm working with them. I am their North Carolina office right now. And uh, they are really wonderful. I started with them in June, and yeah. um, it's uh, it's a it's it's wonderful work. Well, I've gotten to be privy to a little bit of that, and so I think um, I, I know you told us a little bit about one of the cases that you worked on. But can you tell us? Um, I realize you can't get into specifics, but the nature and types of some of the cases that PJI has taken up recently. Oh yeah, mercy. Uh, the PJI—they <laughs> uh, just do all kinds of stuff, uh, all, all kinds of defending people. They were involved, by the way. Uh, one of our one of our lawyers was involved in the uh, North Shore nurses case, where the the nurses got a big uh, settlement, uh, along with uh, Liberty Council. We were sort of their their co counsel um a big um, settlement from a, a hospital who was demanding that they all take the vaccine and fired all of them and and uh and uh, uh they got a big uh, 10.3 million dollar settlement uh for that um mm. we are um this is this is kind of disturbing emily but uh it's an issue i think that hits home for everyone in california um, which is where uh, Pacific Justice Institute started, has um, gone completely off the deep end from our perspective. 
Mm -hmm. when it comes to um, the situation in schools and if uh, parents object to, um, for instance, a child, we have a case where there's a, a, a 10 year old child um, who was convinced by her teachers at school, that's how we're gonna put it, that she wanted to, to change genders. Mm -hmm. And when the school approached the parents and the parents objected, they sent the child protective services. The state of California came down on them and took the child, from, took their daughter. Um, wow. Now, there, there is a case in North Carolina that we're aware of um, that we may end up helping. So I don't want to be too specific about it, about when and where, but uh, that a mother lost custody of her daughter um, over the same issue. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's in North Carolina. This is happening. Um, I'm, I'm, we, we defend churches. I mean, what happens if a church decides, uh, look, I'm, I'm not going along with that. We're not going to, for instance, support that in our church. Um, we're, we're not going to do these things that are against um, our faith. At what point um, do you lose your 501c3 status? Um, so, so tell me a little bit about that right now. So what, what is it that a church, are you saying that if a, if a church um, will say, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but like if a church doesn't want to hire someone who is transgender, is that an example of a way that this could create a case to, and, and ultimately they lose their 501c3? Um, or what, what, what kinds of issues, I guess, is the question could constitute that becoming an issue inside of a church? So th th there's a lot of ways, Emily, but the easiest, the easiest way of, let's say that your church runs, runs a school. Okay. And then your school um, has accepted federal money. Um, there is a, that money comes with a string attached. They call it bootstrapping. And if mm -hmm. you accept that money, then you have subjected yourself to Title IX in particular. Right. And if you've subjected yourself to Title IX, then there are all kinds of uh, regulations out there defining sex. Uh, and it, just briefly, um, the Department of Education is, is issuing all kinds of regulations about that. So if you took that money from the federal government, you're subject to the rules promulgated by the Department of, uh, Department of Education, uh, at least um, it, it, in their estimation you are. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thorny issue, but that's just one of the ways. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, a, a just, you know, like a minister cannot get up in the pulpit um, and be blatantly political, although they do. Um, that's a grounds for losing your your 501c3 money if you're if you are endorsing a particular candidate. And there is there there are ways in which you have to do these things. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't want to get down in the weeds on that. But, yes, there are any number of ways that. Mm -hmm churches and church schools uh, come under um, under attack and and that is 
what Pacific Justice does. That's what we do. And we do it for free. That's right. That's the amazing part. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in fact, I've had clients come in and, and tell me, you know, things like, what do you mean all these years I've been paying all that money and now you're working for free? <laughs> uh, no doubt. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Yeah. PJI pays for that. And they, they paid it. Um, you know, I've been a I've been a litigator for 33 years. So um, it, it really helps people. It's a it's a big deal. Sure. Um, any other examples you want to give? Because I definitely want to dig into the Department of Education current issue deeper. But are there any other examples of problems that we need to be aware of that are um, intrusions on religious freedom in particular that you guys are covering? Well, I think the one thing that, 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 that people run into in everyday life is um, we are representing a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, uh, hundreds is, it, it's easily true. Probably it may be thousands at this point of people who um, have lost their jobs or are in the process of losing a job because they won't take the, uh, the vaccine. And believe it or not, even after this CDC has admitted that uh, that people with the vaccine are no less uh, likely to spread COVID than people who haven't taken the vaccine, um, and with all the information that we have about natural immunity, they're still enforcing this. Um, and when and so Pacific Justice is uh, defending people. Uh, the, for their jobs, um, like I have three people in particular in in um, in Raleigh that are members of the North Carolina Symphony that lost their jobs because they wouldn't get the vax mandate, and we are defending the, them. Um, I, I represent a couple of guys against um, uh, against Krispy Kreme here, uh-huh. here who lost their jobs because they wouldn't take the vaccine, and they still won't give them their jobs back. Uh, even though everybody knows that this vax mandate is, uh, uh, they don't have a leg to stand on on it. They 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 cannot show undue hardship to block their religious exemptions. So, See, I think ahead. that's what that's one thing that's really interesting about what's happening now. Um, I've spoken to so many people lately that have lost their jobs or are on um, in California in particular. They are on administrative leave, but it's unpaid because the, the companies don't want to fire them. This is particularly in healthcare, And it seems like at this point, there should be some recourse for what has transpired lately as far as we know that, uh, you know, the CDC's new guidance is, is enough to share at this point where Everyone should be treated the same. Natural immunity where is wonderful. Masks don't really do anything. That's all pretty much agreed upon at this point. So how is it that it's not, there's not, so there's not um, some sort of mandate going the other direction that these people that were fired for this reason aren't getting their jobs back? Okay, I'm I'm going to answer that with speculation because I don't I don't know enough at this point to be able to say for sure. Yeah, uh, but what, from a legal perspective, maybe how is that possible? I guess. And 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 
I'm not being evasive. I just want to make sure that people understand. I don't know the answer, but but you you know how I was talking about earlier. Well, if you accept the federal money, then you've got to do what they tell you to do. So think about it this way: if if you are a company and you accepted uh, a loan, the PPP loan, well, the PPP loan uh, brings with it the requirement that you you follow federal law, even if it otherwise, see, the Civil Rights Act doesn't apply um, to companies with less than 15 employees. Well, unless you took this PPP money, and then there's a, if you, if you still owe it back, then you have agreed to follow, um, for instance, Title IX. Um, or Title VI, mm-hmm. which you otherwise wouldn't be required to follow. So then extrapolating, imagine that you're a company that has received um, TARP funds, or imagine that the federal government gives you a, a special privileges or uh, some sort of uh, monetary um, reimbursement every time that you have done something that they want you to do. For instance, when you, when you follow their uh, mandates on uh, percentages of the, your workforce who that comply to various um, um, minority groups or, or say something like that, or, or that you're hiring the disabled or something like that, okay? Well, mm-hmm. imagine then that the mandate is issued and as part of enforcing that you are told yeah all of these things that we've been giving you all of that relationship that you have had with us and you big corporations you're going to not enjoy that anymore if you don't implement the the vax mandate well there is still a vax mandate they haven't withdrawn it it's still out there even though the courts have you know, it's been struck in any number of occasions. Nevertheless, these employers are still being told. And again, this is my supposition as to why they're still doing it. Right. Because they're still being told, oh, that's fine. Uh, Then we don't have to give you this money. So you can do this or not. I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to, I'm just, you're not going to get all this money if you don't. Hmm. So, so, even if they are maybe wanting to offer these jobs back, they are still being tied bootstrapped as we talked about to some of these federal programs. And because of that, they can't, it it would not be beneficial or there might be a lot of question marks around offering jobs back. And and, uh, Emily, I'm guessing. I know it's fine. That's all we can do at this point is guess. Right. I may find out soon because we're going to be going into litigation and I'm going to be asking these questions, particularly mm-hmm. when gotcha. we go forward. OK, um, but yes, that's my theory right now. And I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from that. I think that's why these companies are doing it. They're, they're, they're getting some incentive to do it. Interesting. All right. So I want to make sure we spend some time talking about the recent letter that you shared with me last week from the Department of Education that 
proposes some additions and changes to Title IX, what those are and what the widespread implications are, because this is something that affects everybody that touches education in any way. So would you share with us what is going on, where we are in it, and what that might look like going forward? Yeah. Emily, this is this is crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how to say this. Uh, there, there, no, the, yeah, it the, is. The Department of Education has uh, the, I think the specific name for it is Department's Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on non-discrimination on the basis of sex in education programs or activities receiving federal financial assistance. I'm serious, that's the name of it. Um, so these were proposed rules that they can't implement until there is a, there is a 90 day period when, you, when an agency is gonna issue some rules, if it does it correctly, then there will be a 90-day comment period. And we are currently coming to the end of that 90-day comment period. It will end September 12th, I think, or 13th. Any, anyway, it's, it's, it's next week it, that it ends. And then thereafter, they go through the rest of the process of, um, of making these the new Department of Education's regulations on, on how you are supposed to uh, view sex under Title, Title IX. Now, Title IX, it's of the Civil Rights Act. And what that is, it has to do with um, that well, the law came from is that, that, uh, that women and girls in schools will not be discriminated against, right? And it's under Title IX and we get all of our... Um, women's sports and style the rules relating to that. Okay. Um, so uh, what they've done is, again, if you receive, let's say, Medicaid money, or you receive USDA money, or you receive education money in your, in your school, then you are subjected to these regulations. Well, it, <clears throat> it redefines sex. Okay, and, and it includes then, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. The, the, it, it says the proposed regulations would prohibit all forms of sex discrimination, including discrimination based on sex stereotypes, sex mm -hmm. statistics, pregnancy or other related conditions, sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, now, you know that we're already experiencing in, in, in schools, uh, that for instance, um, at, at Pacific Justice Institute, we are defending people who have, uh, lost their jobs for not referring to someone, uh, and in, in the gender that the person wants to be referred to. As okay, uh, Al is suddenly Allison, and so you are have to call her Allison. Mm -hmm. And if you refuse to do that, then 
you've created a hostile work environment. Right. Okay. So it's really interesting because hostile work environment um, under these regs, this is where it gets, <laughs> this is where this is, gets really interesting. It requires, for instance, in education, it, it requires all teachers and all people who work for the school to become, I'm, I'm being deliberately um, evocative here, but a, the equivalent of a communist party cell, you have to be like a spy. Mm -hmm. and, and it requires that the school um, create uh, an officer, a, a, a Title IX coordinator to whom all of the employees have to notify. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just read again from, from, this, from this thing from the Department of Education. And I'm reading from a, a, I'm reading from a summary of those 700 pages that's put out by the Department of Education. Uh, the summary itself is put out by the Department of Education. And it says, um, the proposed regulations require that recipients require recipients, meaning the school, whoever mm -hmm. receives this money, require certain employees to notify the recipient's Title IX coordinator of conduct that may constitute sexual discrimination under Title IX. Well, it, as they go into it, I mean, not saying boo on leap year when, when someone wants to say that, you know, uh, you know, Emily, I, I, I know you've experienced this. I know Diana Lightfoot has been talking about this to us and, and we've been hearing it uh, from a lot of different places. But um, I recently had a, a, um, a client call and talk to me about this, that uh, her daughter was barked at in, in, a, in a high school, in a bathroom. Uh, was barked at by another student who uh, demanded to be referred to uh, as a dog mm -hmm. uh, because uh, he, she, or it identified as a dog. Right. And, and they call them furries and demand right. referred to as a furry. Right. <laughs> now, how do you get this out of out of gender identity? I don't know, but... You know, it's what they're doing. Now, <laughs> that's crazy, but you know that this means that they have to report this, not even if it's just at school. So, so listen to this reg. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you, and then I'll I'll unpack it for you if you don't if you don't mind. This is what they're go for it. Interpretation. Um, this has to do with conduct that occurs off campus. And a representative of the school is that they're responsible for reporting the person that they're aware of that happens off campus. So under the proposed regulations, a recipient, the school, would be required to address a sex-based hostile environment. So we already know what that is. Mm -hmm. Education program or activity, including when sex-based harassment 
contributing to the hostile work hostile environment occurred outside the recipient's education program or activity or outside the United States. Mm. Now, wow. Yeah. Think about that for <laughs> a second. That's pretty broad. <laughs> if you're aware that anyone did anything anywhere, it says it's a student, and that student, you know, said boo to a, flir- f- to a furry when the furry wanted to be barked at, that's a hostile environment. Well, so I think what this boils down to is the ways that this can go sideways um, to spite someone else or whatever it might look like are literally endless. And there's really no end to where, where this could go leaving a huge wide open door to basically anyone being accused of anything for any reason by not uh, affirming anything when it comes to our new definition of sex, right? Yes, and to borrow from Monty Python, so she weighs as much as a wooden duck. She's a witch. (laughs) But, but, you know... (laughs) It, 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 it really is that. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and now here's the problem with that. Uh, and, and this is what I talk to, to clients all the time. And this is the Pacific, Justices, Pacific Justice Institute's position. Nevertheless, imagine being the person who, for whatever reason, is so uncomfortable in his or her body that they that they they want to endure these medical changes so this isn't this isn't really a uh, at at bottom it isn't really about governments and governmental structures and about their power and everything else this is it's always about people imagine being that person and so we always want to treat that person with dignity and um, and 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 caring and love, because that's what Jesus would do. That's what He calls us to do. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, while we're doing that, we can also recognize that a lot of this. In fact, I would I would say it appears to me to be most of it doesn't really have to do with helping people. It ha- has to do with the consolidation of power in implementing. Uh, this program Um, and it's a means to an end and uh, it is an assault upon the freedom of the individual not to partake in this as well. So so for every person who insists, for instance, uh, a male uh, who recently we we are defending a uh, a lady I believe it's in Wisconsin who was a grandmother. It made there was some there's some uh, national spotlight on this case. Grandmother is in a YMCA and she's taking a shower. And a biological male who identifies as a female uh, was also taking a shower 
and she could see this, the uh, grandmother could see the biological male mm. uh, who was ogling young girls who were using the bathroom. And the grandmother objected and yelled to that, that person, this is a woman. Hey. So the, the grandmother said, this is a woman's room. Do you have a penis? And he said, that's none of your business. So mm. <laughs> she went and uh, objected. And the YMCA had her removed from the YMCA. Wow. A YMCA at that. Interesting. Right. So as we finish up, I think there's there's so many broad reaching implications of this whole thing. Obviously, like we said, there, there's no end to what it might look like as far as who becomes the victim and who becomes the perpetrator, because this can be completely reversed in so many different ways. And I think it's important to point out, as you did earlier, that our faith institutions are not immune to this if they are taking federal money. Is that correct? Uh, they, they're not only not immune, they're bootstrapped into it. Yes. And that I would say, especially for schools, like my kids go to a private Christian school. Um, it also is the most diverse private school in the state of North Carolina. And of course we have opportunities to take advantage of federal programs that sound and look great on the outside. And I know our head of school is very cautious about what, what is participated in, but this new, this new, um, policy, I guess, if it does take hold, which it probably will, it seems like is going to be far reaching beyond anything that's been in place before. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. Beyond anything we've ever seen. And, and, and so, in the name of title nine, uh, in the name of title nine, it, it's, it, there are so many, there's so many aspects to it. Uh, Medicaid receiving federal, you know, this Medicaid expansion money in North Carolina that is going on like right now is going to so expand this in, in our public schools in particular that uh, we're not going to know what happened to us. We've really, really got to oppose this uh, Medicaid expansion bill uh, mm -hmm. that that our legislature is uh, really, really wants to um accept and uh, look like uh, looks like in in december and right. we really have to oppose this yes medicaid expansion but beyond that the comment period for this particular policy from the department of education is about to end where do you suggest that citizens go to express concerns or is this something that we should reach out to our legislators how does that work in this case yeah, you you can uh, go to the the Department of Education, and uh, with uh, with some difficulty, you can you can you can go make a comment on uh, 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 on these regs. Uh, I, I I don't know that that's going to do any good. I think they're going to do what they want to, but um, I absolutely do believe that. Um, 
our representatives have not been hearing about this from us because uh, what, what they are, they're not, haven't been doing anything, uh, about it because we haven't made a stink. Mm-hmm. And then we, well, we- and I would argue because I've realized, um, as we've kind of dipped our toes into this sphere of legislation and policy and that type of thing, that it's important to understand that our legislators are not, cannot, they cannot be experts in every last little thing and every, and, and the truth is I'm sure the Department of Education doesn't really want every citizen to know what is in this proposal on purpose because they would rather us all just sit and be quiet. And so it's very difficult to be an expert in everything. So it's important that we engage and help share expertise when we can, as well as our um, individual Uh, stances and understandings on these things as we are able to obviously always respectfully as we always talk about here on the show because I do think that there's a lot of things that trickle in that our legislators don't know about there 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 are so many things and not only that um in in talking to various uh legislators particularly you know, in, in the state of North Carolina, um, they're not really told what's in a bill. I mean, it, 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 it's funny that we have that, that fallback position that, that, that Nancy Pelosi took w- with respect to Obamacare. Remember when she said we, we have to pass it before we find out what's in it? Yes. But they're yeah. in that position all the time. Right. <laughs> right. I had forgotten about that. They are. They are. They're given very little time with hundreds of pages and it's nearly impossible. And there's so many bills. That's the thing we need to understand, too. So if we can help boil down, refine and help to to understand, hey, this thing is happening and this is tied to this, which is tied to this and be helpful. um, I actually find that that is very welcome. And so, in fact, our, our legislators reach out to us all the time to ask for help and clarification on things, which we much appreciate. In fact, Adam and I were working on one of those yesterday. So um, anyway, but I do think it's important to, to, to pay attention. It's important to contact our legislators when we can um, and to always keep diving deeper below the surface to see not just what the thing is called and not just what the headline is, but actually what is in there so that we can be an informed citizens and informed electorate and um, informed um, parents and grandparents and, and, and citizens just in, the, in our everyday life and don't end up being blindsided by these things. And so, Adam, I really appreciate you joining us today and for your expertise and sharing all the things that you're involved with. And I'll be sure to share a link with how people can contact you as well um, should they need help with religious liberty cases. So thanks again for being here and we'll catch up with you next time. Thanks, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Take care.